0: Hello and welcome to DW Fast Track, where lawyers discuss the hottest topics and trends in the legal industry. I'm today's host, Frank Borger Gilligan, a member of Dickinson Wright's Nashville office, focusing on securities, private equity, and MA. In this episode, we are joined by Aiden Tarr, an attorney in our Phoenix office, to discuss the SEC's new cybersecurity rules. Hello again. This is Frank Borger Gilligan, a member of Dickinson Wright's securities practice. And I am here today with Aiden Tarr from our Phoenix office to discuss the SEC's new cybersecurity rules.
1: Thanks, Frank. I'm excited to be here. As Frank mentioned, I'm an associate in the Phoenix office and I focus my practice on securities. Today, we've got a pretty exciting discussion about the SEC's new rules updating cybersecurity related disclosures. On July 26 of 2023, the commission finalized a rulemaking that required reporting companies to both disclose material cybersecurity incidents on a current report and to report the company's risk management strategies and governance on an annual report. I think it's important to add that this rule drew more than 150 comments and passed by a three to two vote of the commission. And so, as we'll be discussing, there was a lot of change from the proposed rulemaking to kind of what we see now as the adopted final rule.
0: I think one of the things might be good to set this discussion up is just a a general discussion of reporting requirements, what the SEC looks for, and how we got. From, from the initial guidance uh, back in 2011 until now. The SEC's mission of protecting investors is, is based on a disclosure regime. So what you're constantly looking for is what information is material to an investor. What is it that an investor or shareholder of the company is going to deem important in their decision to make an investment or their decision to sell an investment in the case of a shareholder? So in 2011, the SEC issued its first guidance on cybersecurity and noting that there was no existing explicit disclosure requirement that referred to cybersecurity at the time, the commission noted that companies may nonetheless be obligated to disclose certain risks and incidents under the broader obligation to disclose material information about the company. So the purpose of that release was twofold. One, One was to stress the importance of cybersecurity policies and procedures. It did not require companies to establish policies and procedures, but it set forth some guidelines in terms of what companies should be considering when going about establishing and maintaining effective policies, procedures, and disclosure controls. Fast forward to 2018, in the light of increasing significance of cybersecurity threats and incidents, the SEC issued further guidance, which reinforced and expanded upon the 2011 release, and specifically gave further guidance on material as it relates to cyber. Namely, that what may need to be disclosed will depend on the nature and the extent and the impact of a cybersecurity incident. It will depend on the scope of compromised information about the business and the operations. And it suggested that companies need to consider not just financial harm to the company, but reputational harm, customer and vendor relations, uh, litigation. It really provided a lot more information on things that companies should be thinking about when determining whether a cybersecurity threat or an incident is material. Period. So that brings us to the proposed rules back in 2023, in March of 2023, I should say, when the SEC initially issued the proposed rules, which for the first time specifically required the disclosure of certain information related to cybersecurity threats, and also included disclosures of certain corporate oversight matters related to cybersecurity. As you said, Aiden, the the initial comment period was open for 60 days, and the SEC received over. Over 150 comments ultimately released the final rules in July of this year, which are decidedly less burdensome than the proposed rules, but I believe are more manageable in comparison, but still provide the information that an investor or shareholder would want to know. And Aiden, I'll turn it over to you to give a high-level overview of what the new rules say.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do agree that that a lot was left out between the proposed rulemaking period and the, the current rule as it exists in its final form. But it, it certainly still puts the onus on reporting companies to determine what is material and, and what ultimately should be reported on on both of these reports. To kick it off, uh, we can start with the first report that disclosures are required under, which is the Form 8K. And under a Form 8K, issuers are required to disclose material cybersecurity incidents within four days of determining that such incident is material. And, And Frank, could you tell us what a cybersecurity incident is considered? Sure. There are I
0: think a couple things to unpack as far as the disclosure requirements on the 8K. One is what is a cybersecurity incident and the other is is what is material. So, the SEC has defined cybersecurity incident to be an unauthorized occurrence or a series of related unauthorized occurrences on or conducted through the registrant's information system that jeopardizes confidentiality, integrity, or availability of the registrant's information or any information residing therein. So it's fairly broad in its definition and leaves it again to the issuer to determine whether such an event would fall under the definition of a cybersecurity incident as defined in the rule.
1: And I think that there was some discussion over should we include quantitative metrics for these companies to determine what is a material event that requires some sort of reporting? And the ultimate rule just leaves it to the company to determine quantitative factors as well as qualitative factors, which I think highlights the initial rule releases in 2011 and in 2018, um, where we're asking these companies to explain if there's harm to their reputation or if the customer or vendor relationships have been affected or if there's some sort of possibility of litigation or regulatory action out there uh, that would be material information to an investor, but may not necessarily affect a company's bottom line or their costs in some sort of quantitative metric. And so that's the main thing that that companies need to think about when they experience cybersecurity incidents is whether or not the investor generally would want to know the information. And and that kind of ties back to our, our general materiality definition. of of does this piece of information significantly alter the total mix of information? Is there some sort of substantial likelihood that a reasonable shareholder would consider it important to making an investment decision? And and that's what I find really interesting about this rule is that materiality is, is triggered at various points for various companies, which can depend on factors such as the issuer's size or the nature of their industry. And so there's there's incidents that would occur to various companies, and one company ends up disclosing on a Form 8K where another company wouldn't because it, it's not necessarily material to their investor base.
0: Yes, I think that that is exactly right. It goes far beyond just the financial impact of the company and. In terms of determining what is material and what is not material, and we can get into the timing of disclosures, but I, I think one one thing that's important to note is that the, the timeline for disclosing a cybersecurity incident is triggered from the date that the company determines the cybersecurity incident to be material, which is not necessarily when the cybersecurity breach or incident occurred, so that puts it on the, the company, the registrant, to make that determination of materiality. The SEC did not put a timeline per se on exactly how much time a company has to make that determination. But the rule does say that the company must make that determination without undue delay. And to your point, Aiden, as far as companies making different determinations, it really is critical that that is documented. You know, if you're documenting all of the factors that go into the determination that the board makes on whether or not they believe an incident to be material or not, and if they determine that something is not material, to be able to articulate a set of facts as to why they believe it is not material.
1: Yeah, in fact, in deciding whether or not an incident is material, the commission has stated that companies need to consider security breaches on their third party vendors in the event that companies are retaining cybersecurity firms to manage that type of information. They're held to the general standards of when information isn't easily accessible to companies, that they're, they're only required to re- the information that they can reasonably obtain. However, the the commission was pretty resolute in its stance that issuers are required to report when their third-party vendors also experience cybersecurity breaches.
0: That is a great point that a company should be taking is a systemic approach. So to the extent a third-party party breach has a material effect on the company itself. That is certainly a consideration, something that companies need to be thinking about not only in terms of an incident that may need to be disclosed on an 8K, but just more broadly in terms of what their processes are in, in addressing cybersecurity incidents and responses. But yes, Aiden, that's a very good point, is that the focus should not be entirely just on the issuer itself, but systemically, whether such a cyber incident has a a material effect on the company.
1: And I think one more thing that we need to talk about, Frank, is one of the biggest concerns in this rulemaking is the overall security implication for now companies disclosing the fact that they're experiencing cybersecurity incidences and and may be vulnerable to further attacks and that is something that the commission took into consideration when when creating this final rule when they're stating in the 8K you know registrants don't need to disclose specific or technical information regarding its planned response to these types of incidents. Rather, it's just important to inform investors to make knowledgeable and informed decisions about their investments in these companies.
0: Yes, that's exactly right. I mean, the, the SEC doesn't want to be in a position where they're requiring issuers to essentially give a roadmap which will allow individuals or hackers to circumvent their their protocols. So that was a focus of a lot of the discussion and and rightfully so. That is also something for issuers to consider because it's it's a balancing. I mean you want you want to make sure that you're disclosing enough information to keep your investors and your shareholders informed, but not so much information that the disclosure itself is going to compromise the integrity of the information of a company.
1: Frank, would you be able to to kind of explain to us the national security exemption that was added by the commission in this rulemaking?
0: Sure, as we discussed earlier, the company is required to make a disclosure on the Form 8K within four days of a determination that a cybersecurity incident was material. There is an exception to that reporting requirement, and that is if the United States Attorney General makes a written request to the SEC to not disclose that because of national security or public safety concerns, that initial delay is for 30 days, but that can be extended. And I believe the additional period can be extended for up to an additional 60 days. That is really limited to cases of national security or public safety and exclusively by written request of the Attorney General.
1: That brings us now to the reports on the annual reporting requirements for cybersecurity management strategies and other governance approaches, which would be on those Form 10-Ks or for foreign private issuers on the Form 20-Fs. And essentially this is adding into the risk management sections, possible risks companies could face For cybersecurity incidents, it's disclosing the type of governance and management processes that are in place for the company and whether or not committees report information to the boards of directors. This rule generally is just to give investors a good idea of what cybersecurity risk management practices are in place as they're deciding to make investment decisions, in which, as Frank kind of laid out earlier, that the history of the cybersecurity rulemaking is we're entering a time where cybersecurity attacks are more and more prominent. And it's more important for investors to have this type of information regarding practices in place to to essentially prevent and manage cybersecurity incidents before making these decisions. And so with that, Frank, would you be able to kind of go in a little more and help us understand what is required to be reported in this 10K?
0: So I think we can look at the 10K really in two different buckets, first being risk management and strategy disclosure. The second being governance disclosure. And in regards to risk management and strategy disclosure, this kind of picks up on what we were discussing before regarding not having to produce or to disclose rather so much information about your policies and procedures that you are essentially creating a risk by doing so. I believe the proposed rules included language about disclosing policies and procedures. The final rule got away with that, and what is required is a disclosure of the company's processes. This is not nearly as detailed as what was initially proposed, but it does, again, provide enough structure or or enough requirement on the company to, to disclose what their processes are in a meaningful way without compromising their information. So basically what the company is required to report in their 10K is whether and how any processes have been integrated into the company's overall risk management system and processes. The SEC is going to also want to know whether the company engages any consultants or auditors or other third parties in the connection with the processes, and whether the company has the overall processes to over- see and identify uh, cybersecurity risks that is associated with any third parties. So not only are issuers required to disclose their processes for themselves, for the company, but to the extent that they engage third parties or consultants, what processes are in place to ensure that any cyber threats that are posed to those third parties are detected and don't compromise the, the company itself. And I think it requires probably not as much detail as some would have liked. It reaches a good compromise in my mind in terms of what what a reasonable investor would want to know without providing too much information. So in terms of the governance disclosure requirement, item 106 requires companies to describe the board of directors oversight of cybersecurity uh, threats, the, the risks of threats rather. And there were two additional items added to item 106 of Regulation SK, which requires public companies to disclose board oversight of cybersecurity risks and the associated process, as well as management's role in assessing and managing material cybersecurity risks. So what we're looking for here is disclosure of whether any board members have cybersecurity experience, if any, and whether any management positions or committees are responsible for assessing and managing such risks. And if so, what the process is there for reporting to the board. And along with that, you know, the case of a committee or a management position, what the relevant experience of such person or persons are. And also to more broadly disclose how the person or persons or committees, what their role is in actually assessing and managing those risks. If there's a cybersecurity committee, how do they go about assessing what those risks are and what the process is for reporting that to the board?
1: And with that, the commission isn't requiring that companies disclose the frequency that management and board have these discussions related to cybersecurity, but that is something that can be considered as a part of the process when describing the process in item 106C. And I think that goes back to what you said earlier, Frank, is is we saw in the proposed rule release. This requirement to list policies and procedures and, and in this final rule release, it only applies to companies process and, and so while we lack specificity proposed in the final rulemaking, I think it does cast a wider net on what companies are reporting under this rule because a lot of companies and especially some of the smaller issuers don't have these formal policies and procedures in place, but they do hold these informal discussions and their boards and management do consider these issues. And that's really what this rule is about is is getting at what that looks like, even though if you don't have to Explicitly go in there and describe what those discussions are. And to the extent that companies are using third-party cybersecurity consultants, you know, they're not required to disclose the name of those consultants or those firms, but they are required, as you had mentioned earlier, to disclose that they are using them. And that goes to this overall governance point of we're interested in what companies are doing to manage their cybersecurity risks.
0: Yes, that is exactly right. One thing we should probably just wrap up on before we just get to some closing thoughts is the effective dates of these requirements. Aiden, can you speak to that?
1: Absolutely. So the first kind of deadline approaching is for those Form 8Ks, and that is beginning on December 18th, 2023. Registrants are required to report when they have experienced a cybersecurity incident on Form 8K. Uh, I do want to note that small reporting companies get an extra 180 days to come into compliance under that deadline. And so they won't be required to report on Form 8K until June 15th, 2024. And something that is important with these 8K deadlines, because a lot of times missing an 8K deadline can affect Form S3 eligibility is the commission has carved that out of this type of Form 8K. So so in the event a company is not timely in reporting its cybersecurity incident, it will not affect its Form S3 eligibility. And that brings us to, to the second compliance deadline, which is that 10K, that companies must provide disclosures beginning with annual reports for fiscal year ending on or after December 15th, 2023. Um, So this upcoming year of annual reports will include these cybersecurity disclosures and the only types of issuers exempted from Form 10K disclosures are those asset-backed issuers, small reporting companies, and other types of issuers will be required to comply with this rule by that December 15, 2023 deadline. And then following the 8K disclosure requirement, one year after the initial compliance date, issuers are required to tag inline XBRL for those Form 8Ks.
0: Great. Thank you, Aiden. In closing, I think that this rule, the the new requirements, they may not provide a level of specificity that some may like in terms of what needs to be disclosed. What is good about it in my mind is that it is going to require a lot of thought on the company's part, on on the board's part in assessing not only what the risks are and identifying the risks but making that determination of materiality if there is an incident. And thinking through really how the decision process is made from committee level to board level to a CISO level, it does put a lot of the onus on the issuer. But in my mind, that is a good thing because it does require some work on the company's part to make that determination.
1: I completely agree with you. I think that there's a lot for companies to consider when they're making these types of disclosures, which ultimately is like you were saying, it's a good thing that they're not required to disclose a set list of items because it lets them tailor it to their specific investor bases and and really decide what information is material for those investors. Thanks for listening, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of DW Fast Track. Be on the lookout for our next episode of All Things Legal, Admissible, and Trending, or visit our website at www.dickinsonright.com.